License to operate as a good corporate citizen. 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 BP spends tens of millions, probably hundreds of millions of dollars every year purely trying to improve and boost its reputation. They use sponsorship and marketing to create an image that they are acting responsibly, that they are putting money into the community. A lot of it is about presenting themselves as responsible corporate beings. The devil, amen? I think they support art essentially to build what they call in the industry the social license to operate, which is getting the support of key parts of society. That kind of social capital that they receive from relatively small sponsorship that they provide, I mean, it doesn't impact their bottom line, is scary and it needs to be stopped. Uh, it's just a form of greenwash, it's a form of making a company that is involved in horrendous human rights, environmental, social, political devastation look nice to the public. Well, we dumped a whole load of oil in the water here, but look, over here, we're sponsoring the Olympics. So, you know, yes, yes, okay, this was bad, but look over here, we're doing amazing things. Welcome to the Tate Modern Alternative Audio Guide. Over the next 40 minutes, we'll take you on a tour through the gallery and explain why we believe Tate should say no to money from the fossil fuels industry by terminating its sponsorship deal with BP. To start the tour, make your way to level two. Then go to the Citizens and States collection, which you'll find next to the lift and the stairs. Enter the collection and walk straight ahead until you reach room six at the end. There you'll find a work for multiple television sets by Harun Faroqi, called Workers Leaving the Factory in 11 Decades. During the tour, pause the recording when you hear this amazing sound. Pause the recording at the next ping, then restart the guide when you are sitting in front of the TVs in room 6 of the Citizens and States collection on level 2. Hello and welcome back to the guide. Guide, 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 guide. Harun Farouki's Workers Leaving the Factory in 11 Decades lays out the timeline of the BP story in front of us. From the beginning of the 1900s on the far left to the end of the 20th century at the far right. BP was founded in 1908 as the Anglo-Persian Oil Company and for four and a half decades, the company extracted the oil riches of Iran at the expense of the Iranian people. By the 1950s, however, the forces of democracy and people power in the country had become ascendant. 
Fearing the loss of the oil revenues they had come to depend on, the British establishment were thrown into a blind panic. Stephen Kinzer, New York Times journalist and author of All the Shah's Men, picks up the story. The Anglo-Iranian oil company arrived in Iran in the early part of the 20th century. It soon struck the largest oil well that had ever been found in the world. And for the next half century, it pumped out hundreds of millions of dollars worth of oil from Iran. Now, it only had to give Iran a small amount. It turned out to be 16% of the profits from what it produced. So the Iranian oil is actually what maintained Britain at its a level of prosperity and its level of military preparedness all throughout uh, the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s. Meanwhile, Iranians were getting a pittance. In 1951, Iran elected Dr. Mohammad Mossadegh on a democratic and nationalist ticket. Parliament immediately passed a law taking back control of the country's oil production. For 50 years, the oil resources of my country have been exploited by a foreign company whose profits have gone overseas. The time has now come to put an end to these painful practices and to put Iran natural resources to use of the well-being and benefit of her own people. The loss of control over Iranian oil was such a blow to the British government that they carried out a coup with the CIA which ousted Mossadegh and allowed the Western-friendly Shah to rule as a brutally repressive dictator. For the next 25 years, BP was back in business, pumping Iran's oil, and democracy in Iran was over. Now leave this room and locate room nine in this collection. Nine? Number. Number. Nine? Here you'll see the work, Flag One, by Mexican artist Teresa Margolas. You'll find room nine by walking back the way you came and then turning left after the hanging sculpture in wooden perspex by Victor Passmore. When you enter room nine, you'll see a flag covered in blood and soil hanging from a pole. On your way, locate a security camera in a top corner of one of the rooms. Walk towards the camera smile like a Hollywood starlet who's just had $64,000 worth of dental work and wave. Cement the pipe and fire the gun to perforate, to pump the gel that carries the sand that props the frack, completes the well to produce the crude that runs the world for all the people all over the earth who live in the house that oil Teresa Margoles' Flag One from 2009 contains the blood and soil from murder sites around Mexico's northern borders in a testament to those who have lost their lives in the drug wars. But for our purposes, we're going to reimagine the work as a memorial to those hundreds of thousands who lost their lives after the United Kingdom joined the invasion of Iraq in 2003, which many legal observers consider to have been illegal. Make yourself comfortable by sitting down on the seat in front of the work while we consider the question that is no doubt now forming in your mind. What's this got to do with BP? 
Iraq was the second country that BP built itself in. BP was part of the consortium of British, French and American companies which dominated the Iraqi oil industry from the mid-1920s to the early 1970s. And that period is something that makes Iraqis feel absolutely passionately that they don't want to have their oil controlled by foreign companies again. The terms of the contract were so one-sided that it was extremely unpopular. In the 1970s, Iraq nationalised its oil production and BP and other international oil companies were forced to withdraw. Some three decades later, as the Bush administration whipped up false pretexts for war against Iraq, the oil companies saw an opportunity. Using the Freedom of Information Act, Fuel on the Fire author Greg Muttit exposed the meetings between the oil companies and the government, which BP and Shell denied had taken place. BP's attitude towards Iraq in the run-up to the war was one of utter hunger. They were almost drooling at the mouth. I managed to get hold of records of of meetings in the run-up to the war, and one of them really struck me, which was in late 2002, so about four months before the war, And the minutes of this meeting between BP and the government began with, Iraq is the big one. BP are desperate to get in there. As we all know, it's been uh, a disaster, a trauma for the Iraqi people. And also for our own country, it's exposed deep flaws in in our democracy when 85% of the British people said no war in the absence of a second resolution. There was no second resolution, so 85% of Britons were against the war. The war went ahead regardless, and it really raises a question of who does the British government represent? Is it the British people? Or is it a very small number of extremely powerful corporations like BP? Her next artwork is in Room 7 in the same collection. To find the room, which is dedicated to the work of German artist Joseph Beuys... Take the exit to your right, pass through the next room and continue all the way to the room at the end. As you do so, consider the fact that the profits BP makes from draining Iraq's oil is helping to fund the gallery this painting is hanging in. The dubious legal status of BP's Iraq drilling contract means that Tate's acceptance of BP's sponsorship money is in direct contravention of the gallery's own ethics policy, which disallows the receipt of money made, or believed to have been made, by criminal conduct. Restart the guide when you are standing in Room 7, dedicated to Joseph Boyce. The German installation artist, Joseph Beuys, was a founding member of the German Green Party. Take a look at the main work in this room, which is entitled Lightning with Stag in its Glare. It's a reflection of the artist's interest in alternative forms of energy, and here, in particular, the natural energies of the earth. 
The co-chair of the Green Party in present-day Azerbaijan, Meis Gulaliev, is also a supporter of alternative energy. At this very moment, BP and a consortium of oil companies are draining the country of its oil and pumping it along a 1,700-kilometre pipeline to Turkey to be guzzled up by the prosperous countries of Europe and North America. It is the Green Party's view that oil revenues should be spent solely on investing in renewable energy sources. This would give the country energy security long after the oil has run out. But the country doesn't have that choice. It is ruled by a corrupt dictator that Gulaliev and others believe BP helped bring to power. It happens all the time. Journalists get detained or arrested for just filming in public places. Cameras get broken. It's routine practice here, so be careful. BP had a very big influence Azerbaijan uh, in the 1990s and uh, had directly impacts uh, for changing governments. BP knew only Aliyev could provide security BP activity in Azerbaijan. President Aliyev's coming to power meant that a deal could be made to stick. So in that sense, it was in BP's interests and whether BP provided any advice or had any involvement in that, I don't know. What this resulted in, and I played a part in it, was a massive contract. So the benefit to the British taxpayer was colossal. Today, Azerbaijan population, if they will demand oil and gas transparency, if they will demand good governments and human rights, Azerbaijan power will punish them without any laws. Uh, Nobody will defend them. Get ready to pause the guide and exit the Citizens and States collection. As you leave, scratch the palm of each hand in turn. First the left, then the right. Keep scratching. Easy, isn't it? When you reach the foot of the escalator, or the doors of the lift if you are a wheelchair user, you may restart the guide. Get on the escalator or into the lift and travel up to level 3. When you get there, travel back down to level 2. Once you have reached level 2 again, travel all the way up to level 4. Take the opportunity to enjoy the soothing sounds specially created for this part of your journey. Power beyond responsibility. BP crisis. BP disease. BP pain. BP winter. BP darkness. Petroleum. BP danger, danger, danger.
gasoline is Superman. On level four, you will discover the energy and process collection dedicated to the work of the 1960s Italian art movement, Arte Povera. Enter the collection, walk straight ahead until you reach room six at the very end. The room is filled with a single work, Pino Pascali's The Trap. You will recognize it as a mesh of rusting steel wool. Wander around it and using those amazing eyeball thingies that sit expectantly in the upper part of your face, take a really good look. Perhaps it evokes an abandoned oil rig that has exploded and sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Pino Pascali's 1968 sculpture, The Trap, is constructed from the steel wool found in everyday washing up pads. Its entangled drape is a ghostly metaphor for the oil rig that now lies rusting on the ocean bed off the coast of Louisiana. On April 20, 2010, workers on the deep water horizon in the Gulf of Mexico ran a drill to a depth of 5,000 feet and then bored through 13,000 feet of the ocean floor to reach the Macondo oil well. After a series of cost-cutting measures by BP, including inadequate testing, poor design and lack of maintenance, which the US Department of Justice says amounts to gross negligence. The well blew and the rig caught fire, leading to the largest unintentional oil spill in world history. Keith Jones, his son, was 28 years old when he died aboard the Deepwater Horizon. And one question that he has for the board because he couldn't be here today, he asked why was Gordon taken from those who love him so? This was no act of God. This was not a blowout that was inevitable. No. BP, Transocean and Halliburton, could have prevented this blowout. They could have prevented the blowout and still harvested the riches that lay below. They could have carefully and safely completed this well. But to complete the well safely would have taken a little more time and a little more money. Were you, he asks, just too greedy to wait? You had to make more money faster. And if that put those who were on the rig at risk, well, sometimes one has to take a few chances, right? After all, none of you were on that rig. You weren't rolling the dice with the lives of your sons or daughters, but you were rolling the dice with my son's life, and you lost. I would like to know on behalf of his grandsons what you intend to do differently today. One of my grandsons, he's had asthma that's been out of control since May. And it's almost a year later, and this child is still suffering with this. Um, and he's not the only one. Everybody has a scratchy throat and cough that everybody jokingly calls the BP cough because nobody had it before. People are put on multiple courses of antibiotics and steroids 
these respiratory problems never really completely go away. Um, sores, nosebleeds, losing their sight, headaches, nausea, vomiting. And the insurance companies, if the doctor puts anything that it could possibly be related to exposure to what BP's oil and dispersant, the insurance company doesn't want to pay. When they disperse the oil and it turns into these little micelles, it becomes an aerosol when the boat runs through it. And so everybody's breathing it, and then it sticks to your lungs on the inside. So the taxpayers don't want to pay. So that leaves the burden of this medical care on the people. And we don't have any income. So I don't know how much longer we're going to be able to maintain private insurance even. BP's not paying. All they did was sink that oil to the bottom so they could leave it behind. You know, why do we have to foot the bill for them to make profits? They need to take care of what they've done. Oil remains at the bottom of the ocean. Corexit remains at the bottom of the ocean. It regularly washes up on beaches. If you stick a stick into the beach, you'll see oil underneath. What you don't see at the bottom of the ocean is life, the life that is supposed to be living down there. And that's everything from worms to um, seagrass to seahorses, all the life on which the larger mammals and the larger sea life uh, depends. And there are dolphin fetuses washing up. We hear regularly from fishers, oysters aren't being grown that are supposed to be being birthed. Shrimp aren't there that are supposed to be. And the sea life that is living is suffering immense consequences. Now go back the way you came, turning right at your first opportunity into room three. Go to the back of this high-ceilinged room where you will find the work Tree of 12 Meters by Giuseppe Pennone. It's good. It's made out of wood. Giuseppe Pennone's dead American larch trees, exhumed, denuded, pale imitations of their former selves, serve as a metaphor for BP's treatment of the rich ecosystems and livelihoods of America's Gulf Coast. Corporations leave devastation in their wake because they have a single overriding legal obligation to maximise profit for their shareholders. They are essentially money-making machines that Canadian legal scholar Joel Bakan has characterised as being psychopathic. Should governments roll over for these rapacious beasts, or should we assert our duty to regulate them to ensure that they are acting in the public interest? For a decade or more, there's been a cosy relationship between the oil companies and the federal agency that permits them to drill. It seems as if permits were too often issued based on little more than assurances of safety from the oil companies. That cannot and will not happen anymore. In terms of the environment, I don't think we've seen much change at all. Exemptions from environmental review are still being handed out to individual drilling projects. The regulatory agency still views itself as being a promoter of oil drilling, not a regulator of oil drilling. I think that we're still going to see big disasters in the future because we haven't done enough to change the system. BP's attitude was summed up at their AGM by their chairman, Karl Heinrich Svanberg. In the business of working with hydrocarbons, there will always be risks. 
Of course, our risk appetite may be higher if there is a higher reward. 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 Now exit the energy and process collection and head towards the opposite end of the same floor. But don't go right to the end. After passing the toilets on your right, take a right turn into a small display containing the work of multimedia artist Nam Jun Pike. The work you are looking for is untitled 1974 and it's the first work on your left as you enter the room. Korean-American artist Nam Jun Pike's 1974 work, Untitled, is symbolic of his conviction that the cathode-ray tube television would displace the canvas as the primary medium for visual art. Today we are at a similar juncture in history, where our energy future is in flux and is a highly contested space. To tackle climate change, we need an urgent programme to scale up renewable energy whilst curbing our energy profligacy. Oil companies like BP want to take us in the opposite direction. They have a vision of a future where our economies remain addicted to liquid fossil fuels, making catastrophic levels of climate change inevitable. And with easy-to-access oil running out, their business model involves moving into increasingly high-risk and difficult-to-access sources of oil. What is the business model risk of a company whose main product we want to get rid of? Flushed with its success in the Gulf of Mexico, BP is planning to get into deep water drilling in a big way. Incidentally, much of our exploration and production will be in deep water. Indeed, the governments of Egypt, China, Azerbaijan and UK have shown confidence in our ability to operate safely at depths, as they have signed new deep water agreements with us recently. Easy to get hold of oil is running out. Oil companies like BP are having to go to new places, riskier, more remote, more fragile environments, the sort of places that they would never have gone before. We can see from Deepwater Horizon, which was at about a mile underwater, how incredibly difficult it was for BP to manage, cap, and then clean up the spill. All companies around the world are going into even deeper waters than the Macondo well, and it's becoming increasingly difficult for them to guarantee that they could safely deal with a problem. In the Arctic itself, the main issue is the ice. The seas are ice-bound for large parts of the year. There are floating icebergs almost all year round, meaning that operating there itself is very difficult. And of course, it's very remote. It's very difficult to get kit up there. But actually then responding to a problem and to an accident is impossible. And you could be in the situation where you'd have an uncapped well that could leak for up to two years under the ice. And when you consider the pristine nature of the environment up there, the wonderful wildlife that lives up there and the, and the fisheries and the Inuit people uh, depend upon for their livelihoods, it's a huge risk that is unlike anywhere else on the planet. BP are taking an active interest in the Canadian tar sands, famously dubbed the most environmentally destructive project in the world. Tansakia, my name is Melina Miawapin Lavokan Masmo. I come from the Lubicon Cree First Nation, which is in the northwestern part of Canada, in Alberta. The tar sands extraction is extremely 
extremely water intensive, energy intensive, and produces a lot more carbon than other sources of unconventional fossil fuels do. My family's been there for thousands of years as an indigenous group, and now they're either being pushed out of certain areas, not being able to practice their traditional sustainable way of life, and which is also supposed to be a protected way of life under Section 35 of the Canadian Constitution. We see land impacts, we see water impacts, we see air pollution, I mean, we see just the complete change of a landscape from pristine boreal forest, which is one of the last remaining intact boreal forests in the north, to an industrial kind of wasteland. Some of the resilience that I see, however, is people starting to say, no, this is not the kind of type of development that we want. You know, we're a first world country that has the ability to make investment in renewable energy sources and make the transition off of fossil fuels. James Hansen, who's a top NASA climate scientist, has said to leave the tar sands in the ground. BP, at the same time, is not respecting the rights of the indigenous peoples there. They have not done the duty to consult. And as well as with the government, the government's giving out leases and permits on traditional territories of indigenous peoples without consent and or the duty to consult, which is a Supreme Court ruling in Canada. And these types of things are being overlooked just to develop the tar sands. Now leave this room and BP's high risk, high carbon follies behind you. Make your way to the very top of the building. On level six, you will find the gallery restaurant where you can take in a panoramic view of the Thames and the city of London. The escalators don't go all the way to the top, so you'll need to take either the stairs or roll into the lift to reach the top floor. While you make your way to level six, keep the audio guide running. We've a few more things to share with you on the way. Oil. Petroleum-covered birds. First, here's a word from our sponsor, BP Chief Executive Bob Dudley. We are not as optimistic as others about progress in reducing carbon emissions. Funny that. Could that be because his company is actively lobbying against policies to cut emissions? BP is an important member of business groups in Europe who argue against stronger action on climate change, while in the US, during the last election... BP preferred to fund candidates who either opposed climate legislation or who denied that climate change was a problem. If the world took the action we need in order to stabilise the climate, many of BP's supposed assets, particularly those in the deep ocean, the Arctic and the tar sands, would become unburnable. Jeremy Leggett, founder and chairman of Solar Century and Solar Aid. In a recent report that we've produced in the think tank Carbon Tracker, we calculate that only 20% of fossil fuel reserves can be burnt if we're to have a chance of staying below the two degrees Celsius ceiling that so many governments have signed themselves up for. So the vast majority of Existing reserves have to stay in the ground. And therefore, these oil companies are overvalued. If oil and gas companies burn all their reserves and coal companies are burning away in parallel, then we will find out whether the climate scientists are right in their 
horrific scenarios of what a world looks like above two degrees Celsius and, God forbid, even way above two degrees Celsius. Antonia Juhas author of the books Black Tide and the Tyranny of Oil. I have done extensive research onto BP's expenditures in alternative energy, and at best it was 4% of their total capital and exploratory budget, and that was at best. It's been declining every single year since then, which was 2006. BP is really very much a part of the problem now, not a part of the solution. Under Tony Haywood and now Bob Dudley, they've gone backwards big time. And they're back in the denial camp without any really serious thought for the paradigm shift we need in the energy future. Are you taking in the view in the upper restaurant on level six yet? If not, pause the guide now. Up here, the building itself seems to fall away as if we're cut loose free-floating amongst the landscape of the city. But, like a government regulating a naughty corporation, rein yourself in for a minute and consider the Tate building as it was originally intended. Think back to the smoggy 20-year period between 1963 and 1982, when Tate Modern was Bankside Power Station and the Turbine Hall was actually home to the huge turbines that helped turn fossilised energy from oil into electricity. Burning fossil fuels in this way to produce electrical energy is a process with an alarmingly low efficiency rate of around 33%. The majority of this rich energy store, which took hundreds of millions of years to form, literally went up in smoke and was lost as heat to the atmosphere. As the songwriter Ian Drury once simpered, what a waste. Right now, Tate director Nicholas Sirota is in the embarrassing position of being both apologist and propagandist for a company who is stealing our future from us. He likens BP to a friend with a temporary difficulty. He pledges he will stand loyally by them in the hour of need. He emphasises the company's interest in renewable energy. And when the issue of BP's controversial sponsorship comes up at the Tate board meeting, as it is now regularly doing, it is former BP CEO Lord Brown, as current chair of the Board of Trustees, who will get the casting vote. However, there is a brilliant ray of pure, liberating light to be found in the oily gloom. Imagine a Tate, which announces that it is ending its financial dependence on the fossil fuel industry too, just like it took a stand and said no to arms manufacturers and no to tobacco sponsorship before. OK, enough musing. Get your ass to the bottommost floor of the building, re-enter the cavernous main space of the turbine hall and walk up the slope towards the ground floor entrance where our tour began all those years ago. Their entire projections are based on our planet uh, going into complete climate chaos, and we need to get them out of our public institutions. We need to hold them responsible for the harm that they've created, and you know, folks should speak to you know whatever institution that is accepting money from British Petroleum and tell them to uh, you know to get off that BP money. Mm. 
he beep 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 walk away The door between government and oil companies like BP revolves especially fast. We should not be going after every last drop of oil and gas. That's what policymakers don't yet understand. They think we can just continue to get every fossil fuel that we can find and burn it. If you take a close look at this object, you'll see it's a can labelled in several different languages. The English version of which reads BP shit. Contents 30 grams net, freshly preserved BP shit. Produced and tinned BP shit. Can a building have social responsibility? If a building can't have social responsibility, what does it mean to say that a corporation can? Who should be allowed to fund our national institutions? So I would love to be a fly on the wall on those ethics committee discussions at Tate. We recommend you lie down as you listen to the final section. But if you prefer to stand around, twitching and hopping from leg to leg like a poor seabird, soaked in a bubbling BP crude, that's okay too. Restart the guide when you're back on the dizzy depths of the sloping entrance. What do they think? They, they think by sponsoring art in a gallery that that makes them a good, civic-minded corporation. During the, the time leading up to the tobacco advertising ban in the UK, quite a number of sports bodies were saying that this would be the end of them and they would find it very difficult to continue. We're fairly sure that they were fed that argument by the, the tobacco companies themselves. But we were able to show you know, from uh, other countries, that Australia had already banned advertising sponsorship by that stage, that there are plenty of other uh, sponsors out there who would quite happily take the place of the tobacco companies. And that obviously has proven to be the case. As far as I'm aware, no single sports body collapsed 
after the ending of tobacco sponsorship. BP needs to be held to account as a corporation. It can't be allowed to put a fresh coat of paint over itself, put itself within a museum and put on a shiny coat and walk away. BP's crimes, whether they are in the tar sands of Canada, whether they are in Azerbaijan, whether they are in the Gulf Coast, need to be addressed head on. Like any artist, I want my work to be seen, and having my work selected to hang in the National Portrait Gallery was a real honour. I did not face a dilemma in submitting a portrait to the BP Portrait Award, as a private boycott on my part, I knew, would achieve nothing. But as an artist, I certainly don't want my work to be part of a PR campaign for corporations that are a threat to our democracy and our environment. What's most important, it seems to me, is preventing such companies from benefiting from the good PR associated with art sponsorship. The acquiescence of artists to corporate interests is a far more significant statement than anything that might be conveyed by their art. Our world is our biggest canvas and our choices are most important brushstrokes. Sadly, we are now almost at the end of the Alternative Tate Guide, and I must leave you. You now have your chance to add your own voice and help liberate the Tate from the crude, slippery grip of oil company sponsorship. Here are a couple of simple things you can do now. First, before you leave the building, let the Tate know how you feel about BP's sponsorship by filling in one of their feedback cards. These are called... What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And are available either at the cloakroom or the information desk. Information. 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 Secondly... You could let Tate director Nicholas Sirota know how you feel by emailing him directly. Get your pen and paper ready and take down his email address. Or, if you're a bright spark, commit it to memory. It's very simple. The address is... Nicholas, spelt with a C-H, dot Sirota, spelt S-E-R-O-T-A, at tate.org.uk. That's Nicholas, spelt with a C-H, dot Sirota, spelt S-E-R-O-T-A, at tate.org.uk. Well, the guide is almost over. Let's hope BP's despicable sponsorship of the Tate is also finished with soon. Why not text one of your friends and suggest they come and enjoy these alternative guides? Oh, nearly forgot. Ping, 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 